In today's world, we are increasingly dependent on technology. Our business and personal lives rely on it, but as you've probably noticed, it's unreliable. They promise it'll get better, but it usually gets worse. Our computers are slow, so we end up squinting at smartphones and tablets. We live in constant fear that something's going to happen to our personal data. So we're scared into paying for fake protection that proves useless when disaster strikes. Update attacks, fake Wi-Fi, cloud control, and other industry scandals are designed to keep the money flowing. The jokers we pay to fix our stuff have no clue what they're doing, so they do a virus scan and then wipe out our precious photos. Intelligent, successful people feel intimidated by the chaos and think it's somehow their fault. If they only knew what the industry was doing to them, they'd get torches and pitchforks. If only we had someone to explain it all in plain English so we can start protecting ourselves. Oh wait, we do! It's the Computer Exorcist Podcast with your host, Mark Anthony Arena. From the Wallace Memorial microphone in my home office, somewhere in western New York, it's the Computer Exorcist Podcast. Mark Anthony Arena here, your fearless leader, bringing you another episode of making fun of technology and exposing all of the craziness and the false promises it brings you. Uh, As you know, AI has been in the news lately, and I, I did an episode on that recently, but it's just, you know, I attended a meeting the other day and, and people were learning how to use this chat GPT thing. And okay, great, that's fine. Uh, it's nice to know how to use it, but people were fawning over the fact that it could write emails for you. Um, all right, that's cool. All right, I'm learning how to, I'm learning to shed my old ways of no, 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 don't do it. No, no, no. So I'm learning to say, okay, that's cool, but you're going to sacrifice the future of humanity because something can write a one-page email or a one-paragraph letter for you. Really? So AI, in my professional opinion, will be the downfall of humanity. But we're all going to go down with the ship cheering that, that some computer wrote a paragraph for us. That's just great. So anyway, in this show, I like to point out the underlying concepts, right? It's not a timely show where we just worship the latest trend. It's me reading articles, and oftentimes, most of the time, it's articles from a couple years ago because, A, I'm overwhelmed, and B, I want to teach you the eternal concepts. And sometimes, some of this stuff becomes more relevant with time. For example, the book by David Platt called Why Software Sucks, was written in 07. And it's a very easy to read, very digestible book. He wrote it for normal human beings, and and perhaps that's why I oriented my book toward human beings, because I was inspired by him. But Why Software Sucks talks about how programmers would rather add billions of useless features just because they can, which end up confusing people, instead of fixing fundamental reliability issues with the programs. 
and here we are many years later where society has become so dependent on technology, right? But the same jokers who wrote the stuff, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you know, the stuff that he wrote about in 07, all this stuff is more and more and more and more prevalent because those same jokers are in charge of software. And now that software is in charge of the world, these jokers are in essence in charge of the world. And instead of making things reliable, they add billions and billions of features that nobody asked for that end up serving to terrify us all. For example, the his example that he loves is the movable toolbar in Office 97. Great, you can click on a toolbar and move it. Wow, that's great. I'm a programmer. I just showed my abilities and skills. But now everyone on Earth clicks on it accidentally, and then the toolbar flings itself around or vanishes completely, and everyone in the world is terrified. Yeah. Okay, let's get into some articles, folks. It's just me today. I haven't done a a solo flight episode in a while, so it's just me talking to you today. Listener Matt, big contributor here, uh, sent me one from um, December of 20, and this is from Wired Magazine. Six privacy-focused alternatives to maps, messaging, search, and more. And this this goes along with our narrative of digital veganism, right? The episodes we've done about that, that theme, where... And I was telling someone this last night at a party where I said, you know, these small businesses, for example, that, well, should we go with Google or GoDaddy? Because that's all they know. That's all they were told. They don't realize there are billions of alternatives, and they're smaller alternatives, so yes, they don't come to mind, but also, they're smaller alternatives, and as such, they will try hard to actually make you happy. They actually care. If they're a monopoly, or if they've treated their clients like they're a monopoly, then they don't care, and they're abusive, right? So whenever possible, get away from any kind of big tech and go to an underdog, because they will actually care. Does that make sense? Regardless of the week, or the brand, or the year, or the example, go to an underdog. Because everyone seems to be so attracted to big tech. Oh, yeah, this is a big company, therefore it's stable. No, no, it's a big company, therefore it's abusive in most cases. Okay. Most of us are so used to the apps we rely on, it's easy to stop thinking about how they work and what they do with our data. Most free services make their money from ads, and that means collecting data about our likes, our online activities, and our app usage. There are better options. Apps that will keep your data safe. Apple makes money by selling hardware, whereas Google makes money selling ads, and that requires a lot of data collection and profiling. And by the way, in newer versions of macOS, they're recording your behavior. If you go into security and privacy and go to ads, there's a secret switch that you can turn off. Not nearly as horrific as Microsoft and Google and Facebook, but anyway, Apple's starting to make money on on their hardware as well as making money on your behavior, so that's actually worse. And, yeah, 
and, and by the way, Apple hardware used to be worth the extra cost, right? It is more expensive, but it used to be worth it. And in 2018, they said, hey, let's make our products not upgradable and not repairable, but we'll charge the same amount of money. So now you're paying two grand or four grand for a throwaway paper cup. Okay, so their first example in the article says Signal for messaging. Few are as security-focused as Signal, uh, while also working across multiple platforms with ease. And an encryption is standard, and there's also disappearing message options, so you can leave no trail behind. While Signal may not be bursting with quite as many options and features, hey, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. What do I say about options and features? They serve to confuse, and they mean the product is less stable. So it's a good thing. When you see something that's simple, and doesn't have a lot of features, you go with that if you care about stability. So, by the way, Signal is a messaging app, right? So the most common example is WhatsApp, and I used to love WhatsApp, and a lot of my Italian friends and African friends, they use WhatsApp. Uh, it's great and works extremely well, but Facebook bought them. And I've talked about this in past shows, about how Facebook doesn't necessarily record your actual personal messages in there, like they do with their own platform. If you send someone a direct message on Facebook, beware. But Facebook isn't recording the actual messages. Those are cloaked. They're just, just private between you and the person on WhatsApp. But they are recording who you're talking to and how often and that sort of thing. Any of the metadata, in other words, the surrounding data. The surrounding... Um, so it's like if I'm spying on you and your pen pal, I don't actually read your letters, but I'm looking at how often you're talking to the pen pal and where they are, okay? So when Facebook gobbled WhatsApp, I left them shortly after, and I started recommending that people leave them and move over to Signal. Signal is fully independent. It's a nonprofit. The concept is the same, okay? You can do text messaging and voice calls and video calls with anybody around the world for free, using your smartphone. It's phenomenal, okay? So it's the same thing as WhatsApp. It's just that you have to convince your friends that WhatsApp is a hazard to your health and you should move over to Signal. Even the guys who started WhatsApp, uh, I was hearing from a friend who told me this rumor, the guys from WhatsApp are encouraging you to get away from WhatsApp because they know what Facebook is now doing to you since they've gobbled them. And so the guys who started WhatsApp have moved over to Signal and are encouraging you to move over to Signal. Rumor has it, okay? They know better, so I don't doubt that because they know better. They know what's going on. Anyone who's worth his salt in this industry knows what's going on. Okay, so Signal might not be bursting with options and features, but that's a good thing. It does support voice and video calls, group chats, file transfers, audio clips, and the all-important GIFs. Your biggest problem, and those are the little animated images, your biggest problem with the app might be convincing everyone in your contact list to switch over to it. Uh-huh. So you should do that. I convinced my British friends to switch over to it so I can keep in contact with them. And it works extremely well. Again, face, uh, again, uh, WhatsApp worked extremely well. I mean, it's reliable. I just don't like the ethics. Okay. 
Firefox is the next example. While several web browsers promise to put privacy first, Firefox just might be the best ones in terms of features, cross-platform compatibility, and speed. Dive into Firefox's settings and you can take more control over what is and isn't blocked and what data is and isn't collected. Yeah, I mean, it's sad that you still have to go in there and opt out of things. I mean, I wish by default it would just not record things about you. Um, but that's it is what it is. It's still a billion times better than Chrome. So unfortunately, there's a huge issue right now I'm experiencing at work where people call me up and say, hey, so-and-so website, like my bank website or so-and-so, my school website said they need Chrome. Note that this means that the jokers who created that website don't have training and don't understand how to make a website for every browser, okay? They're just designing websites for Chrome, which means they are jokers and they are incompetent. In the very first quarter that I had at RIT when I was studying IT when I first got there, the very first class we did was Intro to Web Design. And the very first lesson was make your website compatible with every browser so that the most number of people can see your site. At the time, that meant making sure your site worked properly on Internet Explorer, which is a scumbag product that doesn't obey industrial standards, and then non-Internet Explorer, which meant all the other browsers in the world that obeyed world industrial standards, okay? Um, so that's that. Nowadays, all browsers do obey industrial standards, because uh, luckily Internet Explorer, I mean, Internet Explorer is totally unusable and always has been, but luckily Microsoft is now discouraging people from using it. <clears throat> anyway... Web browsers are all have industrial standards now. So if you create a website, you should make that site compatible with industrial standards. Then you don't have to worry. Because if I make this website compatible with world standards, then any browser that complies with world standards will work on this, right? It's like if I write an article in the English language, or if I write an article using Roman characters then I can rest assured that anyone who speaks English or reads Roman characters or whatever the case may be can understand my article. It's the same thing, okay? But unfortunately, there are a lot of scummy guys with no training who are creating websites that only work with Chrome. The unintended consequence of that is that people are downloading Chrome and by default, Google begs you viciously to sign into Chrome, and then they suck all of your history and all of your behavior and all of your bookmarks and all of your toolbars, which are legalized viruses, they suck that into your Google account and then spread it everywhere across all the Google things you have. Huge unintended consequence. So look, folks, if something requires Chrome, then download Brave instead. Brave is a cousin of Chrome, with all of the Google treachery chopped off of it, all right? Um, but anyway, for the most part, I love Firefox. Just make sure not to sign into anything, because Firefox is now begging you to sign up for services and just tell it no, 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 no. If you are lucky enough to be my client, I put a sealant on Firefox that blocks all toolbars, blocks all Firefox sign-in begging, and blocks update attacks, so Firefox won't nag you 
Because every three seconds now, Firefox attacks for an update attack. So you basically can't use the product. Every three seconds in the top right corner, boing, 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 there's a new update attack. You need an update attack. You need an update attack. <sighs> Got it? Make sense? Okay. Next example, DuckDuckGo for search. And I've been saying this for a while. The appeal of DuckDuckGo is that it's really not interested in tracking what you're looking for or serving up ads based on your demographic. And you can go to DuckDuckGo.com or Duck.com, and you never need to install add-ons, all right? They're trying to make it easy. Oh, you need an add-on for your browser. No, you just go to Duck.com, or you go to Settings, and you change your default search engine from Google to Duck. That's it, okay? The, you know, the add-on is one thing, but it's unnecessary. Okay, the DuckDuckGo app is actually a web browser and a search app all in one. That's for mobile. That's for mobile, right? So, again, it's like uh, who among you would give your children, uh, if your children ask for an egg, would you give them a serpent, right? Well, because some people are wicked, we end up needing these, these add-ons and these apps and whatever. But normally, you can just set your, thing, set your homepage and your search engine to Duck, and that's all you need to do. Anyway... So DuckDuckGo made a mobile app as well. Um, and, and again, a lot of these search engines, they have search services, but then they make web browsing products as well in order to confuse people. So when people say, I use Google. Well, no, you might use Firefox to get to Google.com. Or you might use Google Chrome product to get to DuckDuckGo.com, right? So there's products and there's services, okay? Anyway, so DuckDuckGo has a mobile app, and the app is actually a web browser and a search app all in one. Individual sites are given a privacy rating as you visit them, and the app gives you full details on which companies are trying to track your movements. Simple and effective privacy. So that's cool. If you, if you, it'll protect you from using the Google app on your phone, because a lot of people think the Google app is the way to get on the internet on, the, on your phone. On your phone, you have a Google app, and then which is a search app, and then you have the Google Chrome, which is a web browser. So you could do DuckDuckGo app on your phone. Protects you from more Google treachery. Okay, next example. Okay, next one is Osmand for Maps. And that's O-S-M-A-N-D. Osmand is based on the open source OpenStreetMap. It's kind of like Wikipedia for maps. It's just um, done by volunteers. And it gives you just about everything you could need. Turn-by-turn -turn directions, offline map support, information on places of interest, and so on. Even better, it's not trying to build up a marketing profile on you to sell ads against you. Okay? <clears throat> um, OpenStreetMap is cool in and of itself. Instead of Google Maps or MapQuest, you can check out OpenStreetMap. So apparently this Osmand is the OpenStreetMaps for your mobile device. Um, it probably means OSM, OpenStreetMaps, and meaning Android. So OSM and. Uh, you know, you know the other added benefit of not using Google Maps is you don't see 7-Eleven ads and Chevy ads and whatever else. Dunkin' Donuts, rather. So this, the idea with Google Maps, it used to be phenomenal, and now, of course, they're going to get greedy, and they're going to sell us out for two pieces of silver, and now when you're using Google Maps, you see ads. Uh, but, of course, it's to the highest bidder. So at the moment, it's just 7-Eleven and Dunkin' Donuts, and that's it. So 
on my maps, whenever I'm going somewhere, if I'm using Google Maps, there's always Dunkin' Donuts things. And I know Dunkin' Donuts. There's a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner in Rochester. It's practically the law. Uh, so I have to see giant glaring icons for Dunkin' Donuts now all over the place when I'm trying to use Google Maps. So this might be a good alternative. I might try this one myself. Next one is Proton Mail. If you want your email to be locked down and secured from prying eyes rather than scanning it to generate ads, then Proton Mail is available. It's open source, it's end to end encrypted, and comes with cool features like self destructing messages. All right, look, Proton Mail is okay, but, and yes, they're better than Gmail because they don't record your life, but they, just like Gmail, are now ultra paranoid. So Gmail, over the past couple of years, has been doing these uh, these biannual attacks where they attack all their their clients and lock them out of things, or they'll do a two-factor attack, or they'll where they'll force attack you to do two-factor login every time you want to check your email, um, or there was the OAuth attack where you can't use Thunderbird unless you jump through a lot of hoops. So anyway. Um, Proton Mail is just as ultra paranoid now, or, or almost as ultra paranoid, to the point where it would be extremely difficult for me to even do my exclusive migration, right? Where I do a seamless transition from your old address to your new one. So please avoid Proton Mail. Um, if you do want an alternative, because I'm done putting people on Gmail, if you do want an alternative, I like Reagan.com, Mail.com, GMX. Uh, or uh, mail fence is another one, and there's there's a couple more. Uh, fast mail is another one. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of alternatives, but please avoid Gmail forever and ever, amen. I can't believe I'm saying this because I brought thousands of people to them, and they have phenomenal spam protection. But they're ultra paranoid. They record your every last move everything you do on the web is being recorded if you are a member of gmail it's preposterous okay <clears throat> last example they give is jumbo for social media jumbo isn't a social media app replacement as such but it can help you lock down the social networks that you're already signed up for that's really cool, and where your friends already are. It's one thing to convince three or four foreign friends or whatever, hey, I want to communicate with you through Signal, but if it's social media, that's all of your friends, okay? So the idea is, hey, look, we're not going to try and move the whole world onto another platform, but we are an app that will, will f protect you and fight against the social media things you're already a part of, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. One of the best features is auto-deleting your posts after a certain amount of time, so you're never leaving behind a digital trail. That's important for me personally, and I'm going to look into this for that, because I, you know, I, was, I was a party animal and just an uncouth, shy ding-dong when I was in college and, and the years just after. Um, I was very clueless, awkward dude. And I've had to go back through my Facebook history. For, so far, I've gone from 04 till 2011 and just flushed most of it. I'll keep a couple of funny posts, but I had to flush it. Because if you think about it, here I am, I'm 40, and people are going to, you know, potential employers or potential vendors, let's say, because I don't have a day job, but potential people are going to look at my old posts 
Um, I remember my one of my first Facebook profiles that I had. It said something about you know define who you are in the about me thing, and I said my my, my priorities were piracy, lumberjacks, and finding a wife. And it was a picture of me dressed as a pirate. Uh, <laughs> that's cool when you're 21. Um, but yeah, so that's important. I've, I've gone back and it's extremely tedious. One on my personal to-do list, it says flush out all your Facebook stuff and it's been extremely tedious and I've been procrastinating on, on doing it, but I might look into this jumbo thing, uh, because of course Facebook makes it very difficult. You know, you have to keep going page down, page down, page down, page down. You can't just go to the beginning of your, your history and also, if you click on something to delete it, it reloads the whole page, so you have to go down, 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 all over again, right? They make it as awkward as possible. It's an ultra-bloated website now, okay? Uh, so Jumbo will also advise you on ways in which you can limit your exposure and increase your privacy um, by turning off Facebook, uh, face recognition, for instance, right? That's a huge thing. Facebook auto-attacks and smells and looks at your pictures and can recognize you and your friends and then auto-attacks and puts your names there. Uh, that's, yeah, that's crazy. So that's the story with that. That's really important stuff. Remember, look for alternatives. There's, it's patriotic to question, as they say. Question everything when it comes to this industry because all of it all of it is is brutal, unethical stuff that wants to record you. All right, we'll do one more article. This one's been hanging out in the briefcase for a while. This is September of 2020. Uh, article by foxbusiness.com. China wields coronavirus to nationalize an American-owned car maker. China enticed an American entrepreneur with the opportunity of helping build a cutting-edge automobile company in the world's largest market. Steve Saline, founder of Saline Automotive, and his partner Charles Wang, a Chinese immigrant and former attorney in New York, were approached in late 2015 about forming a joint venture with the city of Rugao to manufacture automobiles. Um, if you... If you're a car nut, you'll remember Saline. Uh, they have been modifying Mustangs and, and making really powerful cars with them for quite a while. And if you remember the movie Bruce Almighty with uh, who's Jim Carrey, he drove an exotic supercar called the Saline S7. And it was, I believe they called it America's first supercar. It was America's first exotic car. Um, I mean, yeah, we had the Ford GT in the 60s, but we didn't get the modern Ford GT until much later. Um, so this was pretty much America's first exotic car, was the Saline S7, which, uh, which Jim Carrey drove in that movie, Bruce Almighty. So that was kind of cool. Uh, I'm a car nut, so I've known this brand for, since then. Anyway... The deal offered, I thought from my standpoint, was a great opportunity to help build a global company, Steve Saline told Fox Business. Uh, the agreement was reached, called for Saline to contribute his brand and trademarks and designs for three vehicles and experience and know-how and technology in manufacturing those vehicles. The contributions were valued at $800 million. Wang, who helped structure the deal, 
would serve as the company's chief executive officer. I mean, that's pretty cool. He's a Chinese immigrant, so he speaks Chinese, um, but he's in America, so he speaks English, and, and he's a lawyer, so he can orchestrate a deal. So that's pretty cool for him. Um, you know, he's the right guy for that job. So that's cool. Uh, Saline, Wang, and their partners would receive two-thirds ownership of the newly formed Jiangsu Saline Automotive. Okay? And uh, this is a lot of a lot of companies do this, where the Chinese city or town will do a joint venture with a foreign business and call it, um, you know, call it both names, right? The name of the town, and the name of the business. The city of Rugao's government, which owned the remaining third, was responsible for providing five hundred million dollars of capital and six hundred million dollars in loans, and build the manufacturer facility. Uh, Rugao, located in China's eastern seaboard in Jiangsu, okay, so that's why it's called Jiangsu Saline, um, it's north of Shanghai. It sounded like a great deal to us, so we went along with it, Wang said. His experience enabled him to set up the company in according, uh, accordance with Chinese law, okay, so he knows the, the law in both places, that's, that's again, that's great. By early 2020, everything was going to according to plan. The initial product, an SUV, had... Uh, uh, there was also a thousand um, headcount, a thousand people at the factory. Okay, great. And 470 state-of-the-art robots, and it was ready for production. And then the pandemic struck. The Rugao government seized on an opportunity to nationalize the company. The city sent six police cars and vans full of private security forces to raid Jiangsu Saline's uh, facility and offices. The forces ordered employees to leave. Rugao authorities also claimed Saline's technology was worthless. Without Saline's knowledge, officials had previously filed 510 patents for the intellectual properties he developed. Oh. Uh, the city held an illegal board meeting and removed Saline and Wang as directors. While chances are slim on the mainland, Saline and Wang have an avenue for arbitration in Hong Kong. There is a good chance they'll win this case, but whether it will be enforceable is a huge question mark. Saline says Chinese firms that infringe on intellectual property should be blocked by U.S. capital or from blocked from participating in U.S. capital markets, and entities and individuals should be held accountable for any intellectual property infringement. He also believes Chinese cars should be blocked from the U.S. market unless they're part of a joint venture with an American company. Now, that's really interesting because that is the case, again, with Chinese companies. If you're a foreign automaker wanting to do business in China, you have to partner with a local firm. The only exception is Tesla. I don't know why, but that's the case, maybe because Tesla is so huge. The only exception is Tesla, where they didn't have to partner. Celine, who worries it is too late for him and his partners, thinks his experience serves as a warning. So he probably fears that they're using his intellectual property right now. Well, that's too bad. Uh, I can't speak to either side of this issue. I don't know what happened, but uh, that's what foxbusiness.com says. I am Mark Anthony Arena, your computer exorcist. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, if you enjoyed the program with Dr. Mike last week, then check out his new podcast called Flyover Plates. It is uh, what we were we were spitballing last episode about how to get this this podcast going, and I I had been encouraging him for the past couple of years now to start this podcast. So that is it's now what we call a spinoff sitcom, 
and it is available on his site on, on his podcast site um he's also hosted by red circle so just search the internet for flyover plates podcast it is more of a comedy show than this one um i have a lot of fun doing the show with him as his occasional co-host and the 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 deal is it's if you have escaped rochester new york and gone to a flyover state but you miss the food in Rochester, namely the garbage plate. So it's called the Flyover Plates Podcast, and I encourage you to look it up if you enjoy all the humor that we share, yeah, that, that he and I have when, when he's on this show. It's, it's a lot of that. So have a great day. I'm Mark Anthony Arena. Tell your friends about the show, please, and thanks. TheComputerExorcist.com. And so many great things coming in the future. I have a new apprentice locally, and he's been really great so far. He's been gobbling up the knowledge, and he's been able to go out on jobs and serve clients. And he has access to the bat phone, so if he needs me, I'm available to him. But he has freed me up to do a lot of wonderful things, uh, such as record more episodes of this show, such as working on finding more apprentices, such as getting the word out there. Uh, In the next month or so, I'm going to be featured on, God willing, two different shows um, that are oriented towards senior citizens. Two different shows that are out there uh, want to interview me. So that should be amazing, and I can get my message out there to folks. You know, avoid the support scams and avoid the virus scanners and updaters and all that to get my message out. Um. And, and it's also freed me up, he's also freed me up to go on non-Rochester networking meetings, okay? So there are, I, I looked last year to see if there were any um, Zoom networking meetings that I could use that to meet people from non-Rochester to get my word out there beyond my local community. And I, I found one or two, I found one that's especially special, but I've been participating in, in about four of them. And just fantastic. So hopefully I'll be getting my word out there more because this isn't a local issue. This is a global issue. All this technology, all of it, you know, the absolute dearth of ethics in this industry. It's a global societal issue. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Sacrifice tonight